Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers. I'm teaching through the book of Revelation, and this week I happen to be on Revelation chapter 14. And before I give you the actual context and read it, I want to give you the title. It's called I'm calling it The World's Greatest Bloodbath. And I think by the time we finish, you'll begin to understand why, where the name came from and why it's uh, uh, applied to this particular text. So for the reading of God's Word, I encourage you to follow along if you can. Have a copy of God's Word. Open it up and follow along. You just make some notes. That always helps you in understanding. So I'm in verse 14 of Revelation 14, and I will read this to you and encourage you to read with me. Revelation chapter 14, verse 14, the Word of God reads, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, because the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Verse 17. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also had a sharp sickle. And another angel, the one who has... Power over fire came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle, gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle to the earth, gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth, threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress, up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Now, let me just say this in, uh, before I get away from this. Verse 20 is where my title comes from, The World's Greatest Bloodbath. And basically this wine press, instead of producing uh, grape juice, which it would ordinarily do, this is a picture of something else. It is blood coming out, and it runs for a distance of 200 miles, and the depth of it is 4 feet deep. So, that you can imagine how 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 much blood that would be of any kind of liquid that to say it runs for for uh, 200 miles for a distance and then uh, 4 feet deep. That's that is just a lot. So, let me just give you a couple of things. This is a highly controversial passage. Not everybody agrees with with the observations here or the translation here uh or the interpretation rather, excuse me, rather. Uh, but it is one that uh, I think d- demands our attention, and I can see where people get off on this, and it's because of phrases like harvest and reaping. And uh, we tend to think of the harvest in one way and reaping it in, in a way. But I want you to notice that uh, general description here first. This is talking about one event. Now, this event hasn't happened yet. Even chronologically, as we're going through the book of Revelation, we're reading it as though it's happening in real time right there. But as far as the reading and the, and the pursuing through the book of Revelation, we haven't come to what this is describing. It is describing further chapters in the book of Revelation. There's two different visions here, and they both refer to the same event. If you can understand that, we're free to move forward. And the reason I give you that is because so many writers have come along and said it doesn't. Like uh, Alfred says uh, in his commentary, holds that verse 14 refers to the harvest of the saints, 
And verses 15 and 16 describe the judgment of the wicked. Well, it does not. That is not what it is doing, and I don't mind saying that right out. And some people don't know what it does. I've, I've read so many commentaries on this, so many uh, resources on this, and so many people say they just don't know what it is. It appears to be believers and unbelievers at the end of time. But it's not. It's all unbelievers. There are no believers here. And so that's what I want you to know as far as general observation. So let's get into to this beginning in verses 14 and, and following. We're going to begin looking at a description and the imagery related to the last judgment, God's final wrath. The theme of the final wrath has already been discussed in chapter 14. You'll remember uh, verse 8. In fact, verse 7 talks about the hour of judgment has come. And, and we looked at the different angels that are bringing the message here. So you know where we are in the book of Revelation, uh, and we know that uh, we can, if you've gone this far in the book of Revelation, you pretty much know the flow of the truth. The seven seals have been opened, the seven trumpets have been blown, the abomination of desolation by the Antichrist in the temple of Jerusalem has taken place, the persecution of Israel has escalated to just an overabundance I mean, or a fever pitch, I guess I should say. The execution and martyrdom of Christians is happening all over the earth. Of course, the Antichrist is ruling the whole earth. The earth and the sky is devastated by divine judgments. Uh, people are literally dying from fear of what they're seeing coming, according to uh, Luke. Uh, Satan is ruling the earth with an iron fist of the Antichrist, aided by the false prophet. The whole remaining world is deceived into worshiping the Antichrist as though he were God and blaspheming the true God in Jesus Christ. That's pretty much a scenario of what's going on in the book of Revelation. So, it is the worst time in, in world history. What we're looking at is the worst time in world history. I feel uh, funny even reading this and talking about this and discussing this, that something that hasn't happened but yet we feel could be very, very close. We've been seeing details of this period. We're now toward the end of the Great Tribulation when we get to chapter 14. And, of course, knowing that the people are, there's, there's still people on earth. There are people living through this terrible, terrible time. Uh, like I say, this most of the world is believing the Antichrist is God, so they're looking to him for encouragement and hope. And they're probably thinking, well, the world's going to get better. Times can't get any worse. I mean, after all, it's been terrible. Well, they're wrong. It is going to get a lot worse. The judgment that ultimately will sweep away Satan, sweep away the Antichrist, sweep away the false prophet, sweep away all the demons, sweep will also sweep away all of the ungodly people. And it's about to hit. And that's what chapter 14, verses 14 through 20, is telling us. It is a look at the final act of God, the final wrath of God, and it is about to hit, and it's going to sweep away all the ungodly people. That's what I need to say. Because no matter what you get out of this, whether you can understand either one of these harvests of the grain or whether the harvest of grapes, it doesn't matter. It is dealing with the ungodly people, and it's depicted as the final reaping of the earth. It is the unprecedented form of, of persecution that gives the world its greatest bloodbath ever. The fury of Christ released in final, devastating judgment. I can't even imagine what this is going to be like. 
But uh, such a promise of this in Revelation 14 is not new to the Bible. And I don't have a lot of time to go through this, but we know that the Scriptures have always spoken of a, a time like this. They've looked ahead to this terrible, terrible time. Uh, even John the Baptist made reference to it. Paul made reference to it. Second uh, Peter makes reference to it in Second Peter. Uh, Paul in Romans uh, talks about it. And, and in Second Thessalonians, he talks about it. So there's plenty of evidence from the Scriptures of this future judgment that is coming. Matthew 13 in the New Testament, Matthew 24 and 25, there are a number of New Testament passages that speak of God's coming wrath, not just the book of Revelation. So even if you haven't really read the book of Revelation, you still in detail have looked at some of these events, and, and that is uh, it's covered throughout the, the Word of God. Even the book of Acts carries warnings here. But I want to give you a couple of specific uh, passages from the Old Testament just to show you that it is very common to the Word of God. For example, a specific passage would be Isaiah chapter 13. Listen to the wording here uh, as to some of these specific passages. 13. In, uh, in, in, Revela- I mean, in uh, Isaiah chapter 13, Therefore I shall make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. There's just a general reference to what we're seeing is going to be talked about in detail in Revelation chapter 14. And then again in Isaiah chapter 63, I want you to take just a little bit of that because the reading is so... Uh, so parallel to Revelation chapter 14. You could put Revelation 14 down, and then on the other side, Old Testament passages that would uh, complement that or, or, or be parallel to that would be Isaiah 13, Isaiah 63. Of course, you've got also Matthew 13, 24, and 25. Those would be great chapters too. But listen to what it says in Isaiah 63. I have trodden the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there are no man with me. There is no man with me. I also tried them in my anger, and I trampled them with my wrath, and their life blood is sprinkled on my garments. There's the picture of the the grapes being uh, smashed here, and it's, it stains his garment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, my year of redemption has come. This is a fascinating look at uh, uh, from the Messiah himself as he speaks about coming into the world to die, through for, for final devastating. Uh, Bloodbath. Yeah, I guess, I, I, for lack of a better term, I'll call it that. But he talks about this in Isaiah 63 and gives the picture here, and it so matches up so well with Revelation chapter 14. But then there's another passage, and it's found in Joel chapter 3. And again, time doesn't permit for me to give you all of these and to go through them in detail, just to kind of let you know that there are plenty of Old Testament passages that talk about these things in Revelation chapter 14. Uh, but listen to what Joel 3 says. It's, it's a powerful little book, and it's, uh, it was written in a time when the land of Israel was being devastated by locusts. Uh, in fact, we aren't exactly uh, able to be positive about the date of the writing of Joel, but we know it was a time of devastation. They had locusts, drought, and fire had come, and the prophet uses those devastating judgments to warn of worse times coming in the future and it's still future for us even as of right now so he basically saying you think that it's bad with the locusts and the drought and the fire you haven't seen anything yet the prophet moves from that judgment to uh 
uh, to the doom of the nations which the Lord unfolds in description of his wrath in Revelation chapter 14. But I want to just give you just a little bit. Just listen to some of the, the wording here as you look at Joel chapter 3. For example, he says uh, in verse 9, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare war. Arouse the mighty men. Let the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Uh, beat your plowshares into uh, into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am mighty. Hasten. And then he goes on to say, let the nations be aroused. Come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's where the battle of Armageddon will be. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. That's what Matthew chapter 25 speaks of. And here you're seeing the gathering of the nations into the land of Palestine for the judgment of the Messiah, which will render upon them. And he says in verse 13, put in your sickle, for the harvest is ripe. You hear that phraseology? It sounds like it, it, it's just parallel directly with Revelation chapter 14. And then he goes on to say, continuing on in Joel chapter uh, 3, by the way, there's only three chapters in Joel, Come tread, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great, multitudes, multitudes, in the valley of decision. It's the same place again, just called something different from the valley of Jehoshaphat. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and earth tremble. But the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold for the sons of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. So Jerusalem will be holy and strangers will pass through it no more. So the prophecies of Isaiah as well as this prophecy in Joel uh, provide a very similar look at a prophetic understanding of what Revelation chapter 14 is talking about. I'm only giving you these for, number one, just to show you that it's in the Old Testament, spoken of many times. But number two, try to help you have an understanding of what Revelation is actually talking about. What we're seeing here in Revelation 14, in all of these verses, verse 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, all deal with the image of wrath image of vengeance, image of the stamping out of the grapes in a wine press as symbolic of God crushing out the life, listen to this, of the ungodly. Now, as I said earlier, the Lord himself spoke directly of this harvest of wrath. He speaks of it in Matthew chapter 13. I'm not going to go through that. But the Lord talked about the harvest of wrath. Joel, Isaiah talked about God coming uh, as the Messiah, as the judge, stamping out the grapes of wrath in the final judgment. And this is really, I guess, even again, it's the, it's the language of Psalm chapter 2, or Psalm 2, I should say. It's the time of the king coming. It's the time in verse 6 of Psalm 2. The Lord to install his king on Zion, his holy mountain. It is a time for God to laugh at the nations who scoffed and laughed at him. It is a time for God to give the nations an inheritance to, of Christ, for him to break them with a rod of iron, crush them as like an earthen pot. So whether you're talking about the Old Testament prophets, New Testament writers, they looked ahead to a great judgment harvest. Now don't let that word harvest make you think it's believers. It's not a harvest of believers. It is a harvest of unbelievers. So the harvest here is pictured in two different forms. First, there is the grain harvest, verses 14 to 16. And try to follow this if you can. Just kind of make middle notes or sketch it if you can. Verses 14, 15, and 16 talk about the great grain harvest. And then the grape harvest. The grape harvest goes from verses 17 to verse 20. So, 
You'll see difference. You'll see these have some differences about them, but in both of them, there is a sickle and a reaping. And the question immediately comes: Why are these two visions given, and do they speak of one event from two different points of view? And it really does. It really does speak of the same event. And so I know I've read so many passages. So many writers say uh, the the question is. They can't be of the same event because there's two different visions, but they can. One simple answer to answer this is there's a lot of visions of this same event, whether it be the grain part of it or the grape harvest. Either one of those, there's different visions pointing to this from the Old Testament. But here what makes it unique is we have two different uh, visions in the same chapter, in the same section of the chapter and so it tends to confuse people greatly. It really does. But as you approach this particular point of revelation, there's something more than just a repetition here. There's two great aspects of judgment yet to come. And I hope I can explain this to you in a way that's uh, simple. If not, text me or write me or email me and let me know and I'll, I'll speak more directly to you. And some of you already do that, and that's great. But there's two different aspects of judgment yet to come. And that's why I believe the Holy Spirit has ordained two of, these, of, these, of this section two different visions. There are two significant final judgments to come. Now listen to this. The first one is going to be in chapter 16. Uh, remember, we're reading in 14, and it's looking ahead to the grain harvest uh, that it's going to be pictured in in Revelation chapter 16, and we're going to see it as the bold judgments. They come at the, almost the very end of tribulation, a rapid-fire sequence of, of the worst possible things that could come to destroy the whole world system, of, of whether it be Babylon or the Antichrist Empire. Uh, so much devastation there, and that's pictured for us in Revelation 14, verses 14, 15, and 16. But then there's a second aspect of the final judgment, and that is what we all know as the battle of Armageddon. When Jesus actually returns to the earth and, and stops that from happening right there, in the, it was called the Valley of Decision or Armageddon, the, where that is. Uh, so we're going to see these two phases of this final wrath. One will take the form of seven bowls, and the other will be very direct intervention of Jesus Christ when he returns. Two different things, looking at it two different ways, and it's going to cover the whole last part of the tribulation period. Now, how long a time that is, I don't know. Whether it's just months or whether it's just uh, uh, half a year, I don't know. You just cannot pinpoint it. But here's the, here's the thing I want you to see is that verses 14, 15, and 16 is looking at those last judgment, that last judgment uh, from heaven's perspective. When it says, uh, one sitting and he swings a sickle, and it's, look at verse 16, and he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now remember, uh, when we look at reaped, it's just a simple word that just means to cut or to gather. And so, we're looking at the believers, uh, I mean not believers, excuse me, don't let me say believers. We're looking at unbelievers here, and it's being they're being cut or gathered for judgment. This is not uh, a reference to believers. I know that so many people say this. In fact, even Amir, I was reading his book, latest book, 
And he says, you really don't know who that is. Well, I think we really do know who that is as we look at this because there's too much here. I was reading, uh, John Walford says that so many people get this confused and they think it's believers when he says it's difficult to imagine a harvest of saints as being withered or over-ripened and useless and a sickle used to gather them. No, that's not a picture of, of, of a grace. That's a picture of judgment. And so we're looking at this, but this is heaven's perspective in chapter 14, verses 14 through 16. That's the way heaven is picturing this. But the way the earth will picture this is found in Revelation 16, and that is the seven bowl judgments. And man, you can read them. They come rapid fire. It's almost like they happen just from one day to the next, to the next, to the next. I mean, I could very easily see this happening in seven days or seven half days. It seems to go so fast. But that's earth's perspective. That's what they will see from what heaven sees. It's going to be different for them. And then you get into the the harvest of the grapes, and that is from heaven's perspective, found in Revelation 14, verses 17 through 20. I read you the blood and the, the clusters of grace being gathered. But the earth will see that as the battle of Armageddon, chapters 18 and 19 of the book of Revelation. That's the way the earth will view it. So that's why it's complicated. That's why it's confusing to look at these two things of the same event. Now, let's look first of all at the grain harvest. The grain harvest, uh, you, have a, you have a reaper, uh, and the reaper is, is basically without going through too much. It is actually Jesus Christ himself, uh, demonstrates his, uh, his magnificent majesty. We saw that in Daniel's sitting on a cloud. The New Testament does not hesitate to speak of Christ in the second coming glory as being associated with clouds. So we've seen that. So we look at this, and by way of contrast, the, the beast, the Antichrist is, rises out of the sea, and, and uh, this is a picture of, this here is, is looking at Jesus Christ, and I think on, on a cloud, and I think that pictures for us that the, the beast is from earth, earthy, and uh, the uh, Christ is, is, is in heaven. So, chapter 17 shows the beast sitting, but, uh, but sitting on many waters, chapter 17, verse 1, and so we can see that, but Christ is not earthly, he is heavenly, and he is associated with the white cloud. The reaper then is identified very clearly as the Son of Man, which is a, just an Old Testament phrase, and, and actually the New Testament. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a picture of Jesus Christ himself. Now the crown is a, is a golden crown on his head. This is a Stephanos, not diadem. There's a difference in that. Stephanos is a, is a crown of a king, but well, they're both crowns. But this is the crown of a victor. Uh, this is the runner's crown, not the royal crown, which we will see in Revelation chapter 19. So I'm not going to spend much time for that. And then as far as a sickle goes, most people don't even know what a sickle is unless they've seen a TV show that's old. They, they use a sickle. But basically it's a long wooden handle, had a end on it, long and curved with a sharpened blade, sharpened to a razor's edge. Uh, and, and they used that to swing at weeds or, or harvest, and it was uh, it was like a razor to sweep through the grain, and they would just sweep the sickle, swing it, and it would just it would be so sharp it would just cut it down. So you see, depicted as the Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, sitting on a cloud, waiting for the final orders to come and take his sickle and begin the grain harvest, which is a judgment of unbelievers. And then you have the ripeness, and this it says here. 
when you look at Revelation chapter 14, it talks about the rightness. And I just wanted to show you that. In verse 15, an angel came and said, Put him uh, on the cloud, put in your sickle, and reap because the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now, that's an interesting way to look at this, but the harvest is ripe means it's ready, but really it is a word given here for overripe. Uh, you see the ripe, uh, the word ripe, it's a time to, re- to reap because it's ripe, but the harvest of the earth is really overripened, and that's the word. It means overripe or to have passed the point of usefulness, to become actually dry, withered, or overripe. That's why I think uh, to, to those who say you can't know who this is, that this is not describing believers. This is not describing believers at all. In other words, the grain, the earth has passed the point of any use at all for these unbelievers. No purpose. And that's a sad thing. We're talking people here. We may be talking people that you know here. This is the way it's describing them. It's late. They're overripe. They're useless. It may be a hint that God has been merciful long enough in the time of graciousness and mercy has ended and it is time for the judgment, the ripeness for judgment. There is no more time for grace. The world is absolutely useless. It might well be hacked down and burned. And that is what we're looking at here. And then the reaping, the third part of it, he who sat on the clouds swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was reaped. Man, that's got to be the most tragic of all verses I read this, and we're talking about human life here. We're talking about people being cut down who have never trusted in the gospel and never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. And these people now, remember, have been worshiping the Antichrist as God. They're going to be cut down and killed. And we've seen this picture. We've seen it. And a whole different way to look at it is Matthew chapter 25, what is called the sheep and the goat judgment. Same look at the same thing, just from a different perspective. So you look at this, and you think, well, the same way now, the same event is going to be described as far as people on earth seeing this. They're going to see it as the bold judgments. And you find that listed in in Revelation chapter 16. Man, loathsome and malignant sores upon men. The sea becomes blood like that of a dead man, every living thing in the sea dies, and then the rivers and springs of water become blood. The sun is made to scorch men's flesh. Men with fire, they will be scorched with fierce heat. Man, you read these bold judgments and you think, good night. Who could survive that? The kingdom of the beast becomes darkened and men gnaw their tongues because of pain. They blaspheme the true God of heaven because of their pain and their sores. Uh, then it talks about in verse 12, the kings of the east coming across. And then that's, that sets off the, the Armageddon. So all of this, it, it just runs together. It is, it is amazing. But from heaven's perspective, it sees it as swinging a sickle over the earth. The earth was reaped. But it's going to take a few days probably for that to happen because they're going to, the earth is going to see this as uh, the bold judgments. So it's going to be a devastating, devastating time. I can't even imagine what that is uh, and how what terrible that would be to, to think that uh, the, the bold judgments are going to be so, so, so terrible, so painful, so devastating. I, I can't even imagine 
what that would be like to, to have to live through that. Now, the second vision is verses 17 through 20, and it's, 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 it's without a break. This other vision comes. Look at verse 17, and I'm only going to introduce it. I can't get to it all. It's just I don't want to, to, to just throw it away and, and, and just run. I could run through it in, in probably 15 minutes, but I don't want to do that. I, I don't need to go that long. Uh, so, But no, let me just introduce this. Look how it just doesn't even seem to take a break. Look at verse 17. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. In other words, there's no time for even a reprieve, no time for anything. There's no silence in heaven. It's active. The time has come. Now, remember now, when, when we saw heaven, uh, one, of the, one of the first few times we saw heaven, and we saw the seals being broken, and then it broke the fifth seal, and I want you to see this. Underneath the altar, in, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God. These are believers who have died and they're already in heaven. Now, it's not just before the tribulation. I mean, this, this is during the toll tribulation. This is a look at all of this time. And these are people in heaven. And listen to what they say in verse 10. They cry out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? Man, they want vengeance. And here's what the answer is. And they were given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, should be completed. Man, that's amazing. But they're praying for this to happen in verse 14 of chapter 14. That's, that's amazing. So we're seeing the prayer in chapter 6 of Revelation, and we're seeing how God's going to avenge their blood in Revelation chapter 14. Wow, what a picture. Now wait till you see the grapes. Wait till we get into this one and take a look at this and relate that to what is coming ahead. Remember chapter 14, verses 14 through 16, we see it in Revelation 16. But the next section, we go a little bit further, and all the way to Revelation chapter 19. So, I think you can see, this is going to be a bloodbath. It doesn't really give the details of all the death that's going to be happening there in Revelation chapter 16. But I'll tell you one thing. It's not a pretty picture. You think it's bad now? It's going to get much, much worse. So for now, I hate to close it out, but this is William Rogers. I thank you for joining me today. I thank you as we're looking at the book of Revelation. I pray that it might be not just informative for you, but that it might be encouraging to you. That God is in control no matter how much out of control he seems. Even as you look at Revelation, it looks and appears as God has lost control. But he's never been more in control than right now and through the tribulation period. Folks, thank you for joining me again. Uh, next time I'll be speaking on the last part of chapter 14. I knew I couldn't get it in in one sitting. So we'll join that next time in Revelation chapter 14, verses uh, 17 through 20. So thank you for listening today. <laughs>